NewSQL is a class of modern relational databases that seeks to provide the same scalable performance of NoSQL systems for OLTP while still maintaining the ACID guarantees of a traditional database system. VaultDB is one such NewSQL system. It's designed in part by Turing Award winner Michael Stonebreaker. Today's guest is John Hug, an engineer at VaultDB. We discuss the internals of VaultDB, including concepts like tunable consistency, database replication, and the advantages of a deterministic logical log. If you liked the earlier episode that I did about VaultDB, you will enjoy this episode. John Hug works on VaultDB, an in-memory database with streaming analytics and transactions. John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about how VaultDB works. What is unique about VaultDB? Uh, well, VaultDB, uh, one of the things that makes it a little bit unique is that it came out of an academic research project. So a lot of uh, very, very bright academics, including uh, Dr. Michael Stonebreaker, uh, and, and Dr. Andy Pavlo, Dr. Uh, Daniel Abadi, uh, Stan Zidonic at Brown, lot, lot, lots of the, these people got together and kind of uh, came up with the research that, that sort of rethought how operational databases should work. And, and that research, after doing writing a bunch of papers, building a bunch of proof of concepts, showing that this is a credible idea, is the technology that, that has been commercialized in VoltDB. Uh, so that's that's something that's a little bit of a different pedigree. It's not just uh, you know a bunch of people who came out of the industry and said you know we can take the same ideas and do them a little better. It's a real fundamental rethinking, and, and some of the core ideas there is you know well what if we looked at assumptions from uh, the 21st century or, or even more recent than that? What if we looked at assumptions from 2010 to 2016? And we say, well, what's different than when when a lot of these systems were built, uh, whether that's 10, 20, 30 years ago, and and so taking those assumptions, kind of things like, uh, well, we've got a lot more CPU cores. Uh, we've got typically uh, people want to run their services on a bunch of virtualized commodity hardware, whether that's in the cloud or whether that's in their back room. What they don't want is, is big iron. They don't want mainframes. Uh, people want to run on machines that have lots of memory. Uh, the difference between CPU and memory and disk is all very different than it was uh, in the 80s and 90s when, when systems like Oracle were designed. Uh, so, so that kind of led to, well, how would the architecture look different if, if we were building a system today? The other big change is that people are building more specialized systems. So where, whereas when, when uh, say, MySQL was designed, MySQL was designed to be a, a general purpose relational database that that can do uh, queries, that can do updates, that can do basically whether it's operational, analytical, anything you need a database for, MySQL is sort of designed to to be all things to all people. And that's Mm -hmm. not that different from SQL Server or DB2 or or Oracle. Uh, And so what happened is we started to see, you know, 10 years ago or so, a lot more push towards specialized analytical systems. Systems like Teradata and Atiza, uh, ultimately things like Vertica, and, and now in the cloud we've got things like Redshift um, and, and Hadoop systems that are, that are very good at doing anal- analytics, whether that's Impala, Hive, or, or a number of other systems. And so because those systems specialized on analytics, they were able to do better at analytics than the general purpose systems. And so VoltDB came at this problem and says, well, what if we specialize on, on the fast data part of big data, right? What if we specialize on the operational workloads, the things where the uptime is important, where the data security is important, where the data uh, protection in terms of, you know, is the data going to go away if something crashes, where that's very important, um, where the update rates are, are very, very different uh, than, than the read rates are for an analytical workload. What, so... So Volt, kind of, kind of summarizing, came at this with modern hardware, modern software engineering, modern deployment, and came at it as an operational focus. Mm. So we've got a set of first principles that are being questioned, and then we have, uh, on the other side, a broad set of use cases, a, a general set of, of analytics work use cases uh, that 
um, and and with these with these intersections of th- of things that these researchers were thinking about, that led to Volt DB. So zooming out a bit and thinking about like the customer use cases, um, could you give some examples for where Volt DB would would be a good fit? I mean, I, sure. I, I, know, I know that's that's fast forwarding from the research perspective, but yeah. uh, just to put things in context. So so Volt is a. Uh I mean, the funny thing here is that we're in a lot of verticals, right? We're, we're in telecommunications. We're in uh, online gaming. We're in ad tech. We're in finance. Uh, we're in the Internet of Things and, and smart meters. Uh, we're in micro-personalization. L- lots of different verticals. Uh, but a lot of these apps have a lot of overlap in terms of what they look like fundamentally. And I would say some of the key overlap for Volt is we see apps that have very, very large volumes – of sort of horizontal scalable rights. Uh, so often this is some kind of an event stream or, or, or a set of actions that's being sent to VoltDB for processing. Uh, now, in different verticals, that could be a different thing. It could be a, 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 we, we want to show an ad to a user in ad tech. For online gaming, it could be someone just beat level five in 30 seconds. You know, should we make level six easier or harder? Uh, in, in telecommunications, it could be this user would, is in this place and would like to make a call to this other number. Should we let that call go through? Mm. And so there are many different kinds of use cases, and they seem really different. But they're all sort of these, these very wide in, ingestion problems where a very wide set of actions are arriving at Volt. And Volt is often needs to combine some kind of uh, analysis with a decision. Uh, mm. And that means that Volt wants to say, should I let the call go through? How hard should I make the next level? Uh, what ad should be, we show the user? So it's not just uh, an analytics problem where the, the, the flood of information is coming in and we're saying, oh, well, here's how many of these happen. Uh, here, here's some interesting trends. What it is is an actual on a per event, we're making decisions that affect things. Okay. So so as you're, you're characterizing this, you know, you have to – you're, you're making decisions. So this is like kind of uh, not the traditional way that we think about databases or at least, you know, the way that we're taught in school. You know, databases just you can do a write and you could do a read and that's about it. And once you start bundling the ability to do stuff that was previously decisions uh, on the part of the application – what are the challenges that emerge from a design perspective? I mean, if if you're if you're putting application logic or what was previously application logic yeah. into a database, what are the design challenges there? Well, it's still application logic, and I will say that there's there's sort of, I mean, for the longest time, if you look at sort of traditional databases, you've got your application logic in one side. Maybe that's in a you know in one language. And you've got your, your set of queries, your SQL, uh, or you know, if you're not using a SQL database, some other set of, of data access operations. And these are separate. Um, sort of the line between them is sort of in one place. And when you get into uh, a lot of the, the really high volume event processing, whether you're talking about VoltDB, whether you're talking about stream processing like Storm, uh, whether you're talking about batch processing like Spark and Hadoop, what you're seeing is that there's a lot of value in moving logic to the data rather than moving data to the logic. Uh, and, and the issue here is the data is a lot bigger than the logic. Mm-hmm. Simply a bunch of ifs and, and thens um, does not take up a lot of space. However, we're dealing with you know gigabytes, terabytes, petabytes of data. Uh, so, so taking that logic and moving it around to wherever the data is is the smart thing to do. And it does it, what, it, what we're effectively doing is we're moving the line uh, between how much is in actual the database process and how much is sort of in the client app server process. Uh, a little bit towards, uh, you know, more more towards parity where there's some of your code in both and a little bit less towards very heavy app server code. Mm. Uh, and what that allows the database to do, um, and whether I, and in this case, Volt, we, we call it a database, but whether it's a stream processing system, whether it's a distributed processing system like Spark, it's all the same idea. Uh, what it allows it to do is to be very smart about how it applies that logic to your data. It may be that it applies that, takes that logic and breaks it apart and applies it in multiple places so that if, if your data is distributed across 100 servers, I can uh, apply some of the logic at the 100 servers, collect that data or move that data around and apply the rest of the logic 
in a way that's, that's very efficient in terms of network data movement. Uh, in the old days, the biggest way that, that you know, sort of databases would optimize is to reduce the number of disk reads. And one of the big changes nowadays is that one of the ways we can optimize is to reduce the number of network reads. Mm. Moving, moving data around between two machines is one of the most expensive things we do. So anything we can do in terms of executing your query or in terms of executing a whole bunch of stored logic to move less data uh, means our system is going to perform better and have uh, more responsiveness. Mm. Okay, so I'd love to start getting into the weeds here. Uh, traditional databases suffer from locking individual records when there are multiple queries being run in parallel. Could you describe in detail how VoltDB avoids this problematic locking from multiple queries? Yeah, so so Volt makes different trade-offs, and and I say trade-offs because I'm an engineer and I'm not you know in sales or something who would say that you know that, that everything is free. But I think it makes trade-offs <laughs> that make a lot of sense in the context of the problems we're trying to solve. Uh, so what what Volt does is uh, instead of instead of using it like a shared memory model or that where uh, you have a whole pool of, of operating uh, of operating system threads or, or whether they're fibers or green threads, it d- doesn't really matter. But a whole pool of sort of actors all hammering at the same set of shared data and memory where you've got to have some kind of shared locks to manage concurrency so people aren't accessing the same data. Even if you're using lockless data structures, these things have a tremendous amount of overhead in terms of the complexity of the code, in terms of the amount of code that needs to be executed, uh, in terms of some of the consistency you can get out of those systems. What Volt does is Volt says, you know what, if I've got... 12 cores, I'm going to partition my data 12 ways. I'm going to split up my data. This isn't like an Oracle partition. It's a it's sort of a, a shard kind of uh, view of databases. I'm going to split up my data into 12 chunks uh, across my 12 cores. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a single thread of execution to each of those 12 chunks on each of my 12 cores. And I'm going to schedule work to each of those 12 pipelines. Now, because today everybody wants to run clusters of databases, we already have to split up your data between servers. Any good modern system for doing these kinds of operational workloads is going to support you know, 10 nodes, 20 nodes, however many you've got. Uh, so if we have to divide our data anyway, it's a logical extension of that to divide it even further so that we have individual, many individual shards on one machine. Once we can sort of route your work to the right shard on a different machine, we can also route your work to the right shard on a core. Now, this has, uh, in terms of throughput, there are tremendous advantages to this situation. It's the, the absolute most efficient way to, to get work done on your machine. In terms of uh, concurrency, it is the absolute most efficient way to manage high contention rows in your database. If I've mm-hmm. got one row... Ultimately, the fastest I can have is a single, very simple piece of code running as fast as I can on one core. If I add two cores to modify one row, I can't actually make that really any faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I have many high-contention rows in Volt, Volt is going to be faster than anything else out there at managing that contention. Mm -hmm. Uh, The downside to sort of this, uh, and there are actually some additional upsides, but just the flip side of this is that if, if... we have sort of long-running work on VoltDB, uh, so work that needs to scan all of the rows, then, then things line up behind that work. Uh, it doesn't mean that the overall throughput changes. We st- still, you know, still have to do all that work somewhere, but it, but it means that the, uh, if I do an operation that takes one second, it actually locks the entire, uh, either the entire shard or the entire database for that one second while I'm doing that operation. So Volt really favors operations that are very, very fast. And we do a lot of things architecturally to make sure that operations are very, very fast. And I can go Mm. into some of that. Um, I can also go into some of the other advantages. I'm not sure. Well, well, let's, you know, I wanted to to touch on uh, the concept of database replication. Um, That's that's what I was thinking would be be interesting because the way that Volt does database replication is is quite interesting. Um, And... It's not it's not closely related, but we can we can evolve in uh, the direction of um, you know the conversation we were just having. Yeah. But um, so in terms of database replication, so this is like a canonical problem in distributed systems, and we've done several shows that have touched on this topic. So just 
it, from a more basic perspective, um, you know, what are the ways that developers can typically set up uh, replication on their database? Sure. So, so from a from a user perspective, how the user uh, sets this up, uh, Volt has a concept of clusters, uh, and a cluster is a set of machines connected by a reasonably low latency connection. So that means within a data center, uh, typically within one Amazon availability region, uh, within one uh, floor of your building, um, but but not not distributed around the world. And then within that concept. Within one cluster, you can connect multiple clusters, and that's how Volt achieves high availability across data centers. Uh, within a cluster, what you can do is specify a redundancy level. So you say, I've got these 10 machines. They're running Volt. What I would like is three copies of every piece of data. And that's a, just a, a declarative you know, configuration to Volt that says, make three copies of my data. Uh, you don't need to worry about which of the machines have copies and which of the machines are, are the primary. Uh, in fact, because, as I said before, we split up things in, into littler chunks than that, uh, the machine is going to have some, some, some sort of primary copies and some secondary copies, depending on the core you're looking at. And what we do is basically uh, we manage where data lives. We have a configuration to ensure that, you know, for example, you don't put both of your copies on the same uh, host machine for two virtualized instances and things like that. Uh, if you've got multiple racks of servers, you can have it so that we, we move the – make sure that, uh, that copies of your data are on different racks if possible. Uh, but, but you specify a redundancy level within the cluster. And then you can specify, uh, if you have multiple clusters, how you're going to replicate data between those clusters, whether it's an active-passive replication or whether it's an active-active replication between clusters. Mm. Does that make sense right. for, from a configuration standpoint, The way what the users see? Certainly. And the, the, something that VoltDB does that's, that's uh, interesting kind of extension of this conversation is VoltDB creates a logical log so that different databases in the cluster can do the same operations in the same order to two copies of the same state. Yes. Uh, can, can you describe the structure of this logical log? So so Volt within a cluster, I mean, I, I can talk about multi-cluster stuff later. Uh, within a cluster, uh, Volt basically uses replication. Uh, we, ha we have, uh, we basically take these, these little shards of data that are in each core and we buddy them up. So if you say I want three copies of data, you're going to have uh, one core on one machine, one core on another machine, and another core on a third machine that all have the same data. And rather than have a primary that does some work and then takes a change set and sends it to the replicas, uh, which is the way most systems work, um, Volt, Volt is very different. Volt actually take, executes the same operation against all three uh, copies of the data at the same time. Even if that operation includes lots of stored procedure logic and many SQL queries all bundled up, uh, what we do is we actually we, we leverage determinism to ensure that we have the same data at, at different places. So we, I said before we sort of have this pipeline of work and it's single threaded at each core. So we do sort of one thing after another to this to the to this shard of data. Uh, and, and what we actually, by leveraging determinism, if we say all of these operations that we're doing one thing after another, and this is sort of a logical log, right? There's a log of, I'd like to run procedure A with these parameters, procedure B with these parameters, and procedure C with these parameters. That, that, that list of, of the procedures, their parameters, uh, some SQL statements and their parameters, uh, that list with that specific order and those specific parameters is, is a logical log. Uh, we can write that log to disk, or, or we can replicate that log across the network by uh, taking, assuming we have the same state in in two or three places. If we apply the same set of deterministic operations in the same order to the same state, we end up with the same new state. And so Volt does instead of doing one thing at one partition, then copying to the next, then copying to the next, we do all three at the same time. Uh, this has. Uh, tremendous latency advantages for us. So mm -hmm. Volt runs a synchronous, serializable isolation, full acid serializable isolation with synchronous consistency, no matter how many copies of the data you ask for. And we can still do this with very, very low latency, mm -hmm. uh, typically you know, a millisecond or two, uh, because 
because of the way we're not we're not chaining things and it's and it's synchronous it's not we write to one and confirm to the client success we write to all of them uh and confirm to the client success uh and that's actually the only way volt operates we don't have a lower uh consistency model within a cluster because there aren't advantages given the volt architecture to having a lower consistency model within a within a cluster So I, well, I want to I want to touch more on this on this topic of determinism because this is something that uh, it's it's like a key word that uh, I, I hear around VoltDB mm-hmm. and I haven't heard in a lot of other conversations around databases. Obviously, I know the word determinism, but in the context of databases, what does determinism mean? Sure. So, so the the one of the key differences is sort of the difference between. Uh, a logical operation um, and and sort of the binary changes that come from that. Uh, and one of the reasons you don't hear about it a lot is that a lot of people use databases for for uh, for reads, um, analytical reads. I run a query, I get some results. Uh, that doesn't necessarily need to be deterministic for most cases. Nobody cares that much if that's deterministic. Uh, people use databases for a lot of sort of key value update workloads. Uh, and especially the NoSQL systems, they're, they're predominantly key value update workloads. If I have a key value workload, um, the difference between saying the logical operation is I want to update this key to this value, really the binary operation is the same thing. The new value of the key is, is the change log. Where it gets interesting is in Volt, where I'm moving the logic to the server, and my logic can be quite uh, significant. I can have a, a, a logic. So say I'm, I'm a customer that runs a cell phone network. And uh, my stored procedure is uh, this phone number wants to make a call to this phone number from this place in this time. Should I let it through or not? This actually might run 10, 15 SQL statements or maybe 100 SQL statements. It's going to look up, well, what are the last few numbers this person has called? Uh, what, is, what do we know about this person? Are they on any blacklist? What do we know about the number they're calling? These are all sort of read SQL statements. Uh, and then we take those SQL statements and we write. Uh, we write a log of, did we let the call go through? Uh, you know, here's the, the call. Here's the account we build it to. Here's how the billing information is going to change. Here's a record of the start of the call. Uh, when the call hangs up, we might write uh, a, a completed record of that call to a downstream system for analysis. Uh, so there's a lot of logic in this stored procedure. And when we say the stored procedure is deterministic, what that means is that if the state of VoltDB is the same and the parameters to that stored procedure are the same, uh, then you will always end up with the same action. You'll mm. always get the same rights to the database, and you'll always get the same decision out on the other end. Mm. So that means if I say, um, you know, show me s- some recent calls by the by the user, it's never going to be a different set of recent calls. It's never going to be, well, there was a race condition, so instead of these five calls, I got one that didn't make it the last time I ran this procedure. Uh, that kind of determinism. If it's never going to be uh, because there were there were technically the fifth call there was a tie you know th- there was two calls at the same time or something and it, one time I queried it returned one of them as the fifth call and the other one it returned the other uh, that that doesn't work. So do you, do you think of determinism as like multi operation atomicity? So yeah, it's 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 um, it's partly that. Partly it's the idea that if I wrote this – if I wrote a snapshot of the state to a log and I wrote the, the, the stored procedure with the parameters to a log, I could wait a week, load that state in, run that stored procedure, and I'd get exactly the same answers and exactly the same changes to state. Mm, okay. So the difference between between my definition of multi-operation atomicity is like – you could change the the time of the of the system, for example, right, and that right. would have no effect on the on the determinism of the operation. Right. So Vol- Volt asks that if you want to ask what time it is, uh, that you use our APIs for that. Uh, mm. If you want to get a random number, you use our, our our random numbers that have been carefully seeded, so they'll always have the same seeds every time you run this transaction. Right. Because we use this for for replication within a cluster. We also use this mechanism for for uh, fault tolerance on disk. And for repairing failed nodes into a cluster. So, for example, if a node fails and we replace it with an empty node, the first thing we're going to do is is copy uh, the state over to that node. Um, But while that state is copying, we're going to keep that logical log around. And then we're going to replay that logical log onto the new node until it is caught up with the other nodes. 
so that may happen minutes, hours later, uh, depending on you know lots of factors. And and so we need to make sure that even though that happens at a later time, even though the random number generator may be different, uh, even you know that that is a deterministic operation, it will always give us the same value. This is a good opportunity to talk about some of the points that you touched on in a conference talk that you gave called non-determinism for performance and testing in distributed systems. I'm sorry, it was what was it called? All in. All in with non-determinism for for performance and testing in distributed systems. I think it was all in with determinism, but but yeah. all in with determinism. Okay, so yes. right, third third time's a charm. I I will put in the show notes with the correct title. Yeah. Um. So you know you're touching on this this idea of determinism and it being important. You know to be to well in in VoltDB's case, you know you access the VoltDB API for these things that can change. It, it, is this is this like a really big hazard for applications where you can you can end up with with really troublesome situations if you're if you're accessing the time and you get that you get something wrong or you're accessing a random number generator and it works in a way that you don't uh, don't expect or like how how can this manifest into real world problems? So if you have uh, our stored procedures in Volt are, are typically written in Java. Uh, technically, you can write them in other JVM languages, but but for the most part, people write you know very straightforward business logic in Java. Um, now, there are there are, in practice the ways you can hit determinism uh, are, are random numbers, wall clock time, and we don't prevent you in your procedure from calling you know Java util date, give me the wall clock time, um, or system current time millis or any of those things. Uh, so that's one way. Another way is you can do it is you can call to an external system within your stored procedure. So within your stored procedure, you could make a call over a socket to another system and query that system. Uh, since that query isn't guaranteed to give you the same value or even work hours later, um, then that could be a source of non-determinism. Uh, and, and then there are, there are some sort of nuanced ways to run into non-determinism, such as maybe you're using a third-party library that randomizes things for security. Uh, we've run into that one once. Uh, the the nice thing about VoltDB, uh, in practice, we do, these aren't typically big problems uh, because what people typically do is they build uh, they take their set of procedures and they're building sort of a, a an application that they deploy onto VoltDB. Um, it's it's almost like a data API uh, onto VoltDB, and and what they often do is they test that API in some way. And so we found that for the most part, people find any time that they've done something that that's going to be problematic, they find this very quickly in their test process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we were very clear to say, you know, when we, in all of our training and documentation, uh, you know, don't call system current time millis in your procedure and mm-hmm. then feed that procedure into some write that's going to either change the result of the decision or, or change the state in the system. Um, and so in, in practice, uh, I think I, I said at the time I gave that talk, which was in September, that we haven't run into this and these sort of non-determinism problems in production in, in over a year. Um, and we haven't run into them since. Oh. Uh, so we've run into some problems. Uh, you know, customers I, I thought you were going to say – I thought you were going to say you jinxed it. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> so in practice, we, you know, we, we, we have not seen this become a problem in production uh, users have not lost data because of this in, in well over a year, coming up on two years because of this. Uh, and this is a lot of the work we've done to make things uh, easier to detect. Um, and it, I should say, when I, I, if this does happen, we don't actually lose data when this happens, but we do, we do restrict availability. Uh, so what we'll do is if you if you're have a non-determinist op- operation, that is a procedure does one set of data changes in one partition, one, one re- uh, replica copy, makes another set of changes in a different replica copy um, or a different set of changes on, on a restore or a rejoin into the cluster, uh, we will detect that and we will save all of your data and we will actually save both copies of the diverged data and say to you, well, what do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is an availability issue. It's not a data safety issue. So um, you, en- you enforce safety, but not necessarily liveness. Right. So we have, we, we have but that has been, uh, hasn't been an issue in some time. Sure. So, okay, you know, talking about determinism versus non-determinism and how to implement that, like we touched on the idea of the logical log earlier, and the logical log creates the source of determinism that is shared across the entire database. And 
in theory, this sounds great, but in practice, what are the difficulties of implementing determinism on a distributed database? Uh, well, so, so one of the things that we have had to do is to be very careful about row order in, in this in VoltDB. Uh, so that we've actually built a, a, um, a SQL planner optimizer and execution engine that can uh, be aware of when it might be returning things in, in arbitrary orders and when it's going to return things in a specific deterministic order. And we can actually uh, pick plans that are slightly slightly less efficient if we know that the output of a read plan might be fed into the input of a write operation. Uh, and if it, the, if a read is not going to be fed into a write, then we don't care if it's if it's going to return a different answer, right? That 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 matters less to us. So that was something that took a lot of work. We've also built a lot of um, functionality into Volt uh, to detect this without being super invasive. Uh, so one of the things that we do is uh, we build um, hashes of all of the write operations and their parameters that you do within your stored procedure. And we compare those hashes when the procedures return from multiple replicas. Uh, and that's actually our primary mechanism of detecting when you've done something non-deterministic. Uh, the other thing we can do is we can compare uh, our, our transactional snapshots. In VoltDB, when we snapshot your data to disk to save it, uh, we do this on a continuous basis. Uh, that's done at a particular transaction ID, a logical point in time across the entire cluster. So if I have two replicas that are supposed to be identical, their snapshots are also supposed to be identical. And we can tell from checksums and those if we have any problems that way. So mm. a lot of these things are, are sort of uh, – we've spent a fair amount of time on how we uh, detect if you have problems. We spent a fair amount of time on, on building a system that's more robust to having those kind of problems. Um, we've had some learning experiences. Uh, one of the, A thing that happened I think last summer – is we ran into issues where that we just should have foreseen but didn't. Uh, and this is something, that, again, that came up in testing. It didn't come up in production. Uh, but floating point math uh, is not commutative. Uh, and floating point math not being commutative led to some queries that we thought were deterministic operating <laughs> on floating point operations not actually being deterministic. Uh, and so yeah. we now have that as part of our – in our system today, we, we handle floating point math a little bit differently. That's interesting. It's um, yeah, we've had some issues with uh, with non ECC systems corrupting memory and non and diverging that way. And the cool thing is that we can detect that, um, but it is often a difficult thing to tell someone why when that happens. We don't have it right. You know, sometimes if we just look at it and we say, "Well, we don't have a great answer." Can you run memcheck <laughs> off of a, a boot disk? And that often uh, kind of that, that is can be illuminating in those situations uh, right. but fortunately all the ram in, in amazon and most of these clouds and and most systems people are buying is ecc memory and that makes a big difference okay and so w one of the ways you encapsulated this way of implementing uh determinism on volt db you touched on this in your talk uh is deterministic sql can you define deterministic sql Sure. So, uh, so let's say I have uh, uh, let's say I have a, a classroom, a, a, rec a table that stores all my students. I have thirty students. Let's say there's fourteen girls and fourteen boys. I don't, I'm being a little gender normative here, but it's good for a database example. <laughs> uh, now, if I say uh, if I say select from the database. Uh, uh, where gender is male, limit five. Which five boys am I going to get? Depending on the database, depending on how it's implemented, uh, you might get different guys, right? So I might get different guys uh, at different replicas, in fact, in VoltDB typically. Uh, and so what VoltDB will do is it will recognize whether or not that Query is just a, a query that's going to be returned back to the user where the user doesn't care or if it's part of a procedure of logic that's all read-only that's never going to modify state, um, then that's – it doesn't matter. We're just going to give you any five guys. However, if you, if you tell us um, – if it's in a read-write procedure where I'm going to take five guys and I'm going to give them, say, you know, uh, 10 bonus points on their exam, um, you know, because I'm sort of a, a chaotic neutral professor <laughs> – 
if I do that, then I want to make sure that it's the same five guys in, in, in replica A and replica B. And so what Volt will do is Volt will basically uh, sort your 14 guys um, on, you know, maybe uh, their, their student ID number or something. Uh, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to usually do that sort in real time. Usually there's just an index where I can walk the index on student ID number and make sure that I get the same five guys. Mm-hmm. It might be a slightly less efficient way to do the work. Um, in some cases, it could be a lot less efficient. If you don't have any indexes on the table and you've got billions of records, uh, ensuring that you get the same five guys is, can be challenging. Mm. Um, but if you're aware of these problems, if you've run you know, your, your, uh, your example in, in pre-production and test, uh, then we can sort of tune a lot of these things. Uh, we, can, we often just basically can make that query you know, a microsecond slower uh, but then make sure that we're always returning the same five people from your class. Okay. And so VoltDB's Volt deterministic SQL guarantees that writes are always deterministic. Explain how a write works in VoltDB, and then we'll contrast that with how a read works. Uh, well, a read in VoltDB – sorry, I started with the opposite of what you said. Uh, a read oh, in VoltDB can go which, anywhere, right? I can, if I have three replicas, I can send the read to any of those replicas. Uh, it actually – doesn't matter where in the deterministic order it goes, as long as it goes in that deterministic order somewhere. A write is different in that a write has to go to um, all uh, all three replicas if I've got three of them, and, and and writes all have to be ordered in the same order relative to each other. I can slot in reads wherever I want, but relative to other writes, I need to do things in a particular order. And and when I say write in VoltDB, what I'm basically saying is I've got a transaction. That has, uh, that has the potential to write to the database. So even if a transaction does a bunch of reads and then has an if statement that says, if all of these things are true, store this record in the database, otherwise don't bother, that might write to the database. So we still call that a read-write transaction. It still has to be run at all three replicas. Mm, um, right. But that when I say a write transaction, many of these write transactions have many SQL statements that are a mix of, of queries, logic between queries and, and writes or even potential writes. It doesn't mean they have to modify state. It just means that they might. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So um, are there any other features of a deterministic SQL system that would be worth touching on? Um, so, so one of the things, what this allows us to get just sort of uh, circling back a little bit. Um, I mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, there's a big latency advantage here for us um, because we can do uh, the work on all three replicas at the same time. Again, I could have four or two, but uh, all the replicas at the same time, I, ha- I don't have the latency penalty of doing one and then the other or the consistency penalty of doing one, returning to the client and hoping that it makes it to the other two. Um, so there's a big latency advantage and that latency advantage doubles when we involve the disk because what I can do is write the logical log to the disk as soon as I've decided on the ordering of the operations. Typically with systems that use memory and disk, I make the changes to the memory version and then I write that version to the disk. So the client has to decide, do I want to be notified this succeeded when it writes to memory, when I've sent an asynchronous IO request to save it to disk, or when I've F-synced the disk and confirmed that it's on the disk, then I want to return. But Mm -hmm. if I'm doing these things one after another, right, I'm doing the work in memory, then I'm asynchronously sending an IO request, then I'm waiting for an F-sync that confirms that that IO request is actually on disk. If I do all these things one after another, it adds to my latency. And it can add Mm. a lot to latency. With VoltDB, what I can do is as soon as I've decided on the order, I can start writing that information to disk. Um, And so... I, when I'm in order to respond to the client that this is safe on disk and safe in memory on multiple machines, I actually can do all of these things concurrently and just wait for all of these conditions to be true to respond to the client. But since they're all done concurrently, if my disk, whether I've got an SSD or a disk controller, is capable of F-syncing once a millisecond or once every two milliseconds, then typically the latency to do the work and to respond to this query is going to be one or two milliseconds. Mm. Uh, and that's very different than systems that involve disks that have uh, non-logical uh, operations. Right. So, okay. So you've essentially defined why the deterministic logical log allows right. uh, faster replication and faster persistence. 
Um, right. So, so the second big advantage is it allows us to be uh, very consistent in terms of th- this, this not just the determinism, but the architecture of doing determinism things in a replicated way, but doing a set of things in a log applied to a, a single uh, core and a single piece of data attached to that core. Um, that architecture is, is not just very multi-core friendly because we've got uh, a lot of cores. It's not just very cluster friendly uh, because, you know, horizontal partitioning is important for clusters um but it, it's very very uh it's very very fair it's very very efficient uh it lets us have basically our goal as, as VoltDB engineers is to keep your cpu saturated with work and this architecture lets us get as close to achieving that goal as possible in terms of throughput mm. almost none of our customers are anywhere near saturated cpus um, but they love the fact that if their workload doubles, their the, the impact of their performance at the in terms of what is the latency added to their API is almost unnoticeable. Mm. VoltDB uh, performance and latency is very predictable as you go from zero percent load to ninety percent load. It's very predictable whether you have one client connected to a Volt, Volt database or if you have a hundred thousand clients connected to a Volt database because everybody's just lining up. If you're generating all your load with one client or you're generating a little bit of load but with many clients, if the load is the same, then the performance typically is about the same. There's a little bit more networking work to be done with 100,000 clients. But, but surprisingly, you know, Linux is very good at this and, and, and we scale very well as you add clients. There isn't, uh, there's no way to add contention in VoltDB um, as you add more clients. Okay. Given that you've you're an engineer and uh you know you you said you know you're willing to talk about trade-offs like they're trade-offs um you talked about the trade-offs in in your talk about um enforcing determinism in a database and the the first trade-off you explored was that it's it's simply more work to enforce determinism can you describe how determinism led to additional engineering work um well, I think maybe we've we've covered this a little bit. I mean, in terms of the the adding the all the the checks and the uh, the the hashing and verifying the data is the same. In terms of the deterministic SQL planner and, and building sort of that kind of smarts into the product. Um, in terms of testing, there's a lot of testing that we've built um, that that sort of ensures that all the code that we think works actually works. Um, you know, anytime you write code, it's usually twice as much work or more to actually verify that it's correct. <laughs> and verifying that code is correct is is very important for us because you know this is code that that people bet their business on. Right. Uh, so I think that that's the that's the first trade off, the additional work. Um, I, I did mention some others. Uh, you know, there's a trade off where uh, I think I mentioned where there's an availability impact if if the user gets it wrong. Um, so that's that's a trade off. Uh, in terms of the determinism, uh, one of the things that we found that's challenging that, that I mentioned in that talk is that uh, we assume that we've got identical software running on every cluster node. And one of the things that makes challenging is, is upgrades to, uh, to VoltDB. So if I want to do a rolling upgrade where I'm running version 5.x on one node and version 6.x on another, uh, then we worry as engineers that, well, if we've changed the code, how can we ensure that the, the same operation is actually going to make the same changes in both? What if we've modified an algorithm? What if we've ordered something a little differently and we get different values? And so uh-huh. Volt is, is very careful about how it manages upgrades. We have a, a patch live upgrade system where uh, we can, if you've got, say, version 5.8 uh, and you want to run version 5.81, uh, we can do that because we've qualified that these things actually have, you know, they're compatible determinism-wise. Mm. Um, however, it makes things like uh, upgrading an entire cluster from version, you know, uh, 5.8 to we're coming out with 6.0 in, in a week uh, to 6.0, uh, it will be will be more challenging. And mm. so our answer to that is the historical answer has been um, stopping volts and restarting volts. Uh, is not an operationally challenging thing. It does require a service window. It does require some time. Um, but it typing typing wise, it, it's it's the easiest thing in the world. I type volt shut down. I type volt uh, create uh, volt uh, restore, and I'm back in business with a new version of volt. We make sure that all these uh, all of our disk persistence is compatible across versions. Mm. We do have a new answer uh, starting with with um, 
the 6.0, 6.x line of, uh, of code, uh, where we're able to use our multi-cluster support uh, to basically bring up a new cluster with a new version in parallel. And we use, instead of a logical stream, we're using a binary stream to replicate to that new cluster. We can have both clusters running in parallel, and then we can shut down the older one. Uh, this is a very cloud-friendly way of doing upgrades. Uh, and so our customers who are running virtualized, who are running in the cloud, this is a, an acceptable solution for them. Um, it's a difficult thing if you've got you know three servers in a back room. Uh, for those people, it's still a major upgrades of Volt still require a few minutes of downtime. Mm. Uh, we may at some point get to sort of internally versioning uh, some of the execution code uh, so that we can support mixed versions of Volt in a live way. Uh, but that's that is one of the trade offs of the system. So we you you did touch on testing a little bit, um, but I, I am curious, like as you're developing a database, I mean, what kinds of what kinds of testing frameworks and unit testing and performance testing do you do uh, or how, how yeah. do you model that process in order to know that you're doing things in a way that accurately models the, the set of customers that will eventually be using your database? Well, that's um, a really loaded question. <laughs> it's it's a good question. I'm probably going to answer half of it and forget the rest. So so definitely poke me on what I don't what I don't follow up on. Um, the last thing you said about customers. Um, well, one of the things we do talking to customers is that um, when customers run into issues, and th- this is not even just customers, but you know pre customers. Uh, when we have when we approach someone and uh, they're looking at VoltDB and they say VoltDB is great, um, but we have issues when we're doing this. Uh, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll first we'll build a POC to verify like, okay, well, you know, surprisingly, this was more challenging than we thought. Um, very often uh, that code makes it into our continuous testing process. So we've got a bunch of uh, internal continuous testing processes that are all named after uh, either customers or, or uh, groups that didn't become customers uh, where they had a workload that wasn't a great fit, and we built sort of a, an app that that simulated that workload and, and beat on it until it worked well in Volt. Um, we don't do that for every workload. Some workloads we decide, well, that that really isn't a great fit for Volt. But when we think we should be able to do it, that becomes part of our process. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's one way we can incorporate a lot of the customer work in terms of uh, that. We had another customer that is very latencies focused. Uh, a lot of our telecommunications customers they choose Volt. Um, basically because there are not a lot of uh, very, very robust operational databases that have very, very predictable latency uh, parameters uh, for, for the sort of complex server-side logic. Uh, largely in the telco space, we're replacing times 10 or other you know, really beefy sort of uh, older systems that have been very, very hardened. And so that's really f- sort of, uh, this is a diversion, but really, really uh, flattering for us because we know these people are sort of betting their operational business on Volt. And, um, and that, that's, that's a, but one of the ways that we got to that point where we can do this is we work with these customers to build tests that uh, run for long periods of time and measure latency the way they measure latency. Uh, so, so you know, it's it's very common in distributed systems to talk about. Well, no one cares about average latency. If you're monitoring average latency, then you know you're failing. Um, but you know, whether you're monitoring average or or 99th percentile or 99.9th percentile, uh, what we're basically doing is flipping that around entirely, and we're running queries where we're counting how many operations took more than 50 milliseconds, and our goal is to get that number to zero or, or vanishingly close to zero for runs that take days, mm. um, even when sending you know, significant load to VoltDB. And so that was a long process. And there's actually that, that, that talk that you're referencing from Strangeloop last year. There's a talk uh, by Ariel Weisberg uh, the year before at Strangeloop about sort of how we, we, we got that latency down, that long tail latency, and how we sort of... Uh, and that, that was a mix of, of software tuning. It was a mix of Java tuning. Uh, what's the right garbage collection method? What's the right pattern of accessing these objects so they're garbage collector friendly? Um, we certainly, diverging a bit, we make sure that all of our uh, actual long-lived data, all the SQL data, all the SQL execution, that's all done in native C++ code. None of that is done in any Java code. Uh, we don't really want to ask you to run Java code with a 128-gig heap. Uh, it, it will not go well. <laughs> Uh, this is something that, that the Cassandra people have, have figured out over the years, and they're sort of coming around to all of this data needs to be off of the heap. 
Um, but we've built a very garbage collector friendly uh, bits of code that run Java. Uh, and his talk is a little bit more detail about how we did that. But this process where we are measuring latency for days and counting the 50 milliseconds, when we ship a version, and, and this was, you know, I don't know, 5.1 or something or 4.6, I'm not sure exactly. When we ship this version that this customer accepted, and they started running, you know, a third of the world's cellular traffic on this on VoltDB. Uh, what what we didn't do is stop there, right? We have right now. We actually had a recent issue where, oh, lo and behold, VoltDB 5.8 uh, has before we has has a slightly worse profile on the 50 millisecond uh, system, and so we actually worked very hard to figure out what that was and to get that back down for 5.9, so that the user could upgrade to 5.9 from whatever 5.x version they were using. Mm. Um, and that so that's something that you know as we improve the software, sometimes we regress, and we have to make sure that that test enables us to to figure out what the regression was. Sometimes it's a lot of Git bisect work um, and, and figure out <laughs> why that weird change that Git says is the problem actually impacts latency for you know one transaction every billion or something. Uh, mm. That's not a fun process and we spend a lot of time on that. Um, uh, yeah. but, but that's one of the ways we, we, we get uh, customers involved. Um, another thing I do, and I talk about this in the... Um, in that talk at Strange Loop, which which is on YouTube, if people are interested, um, I don't know if there's like show notes we can link to it, but uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, one of the things we do is we build pathological workloads, and these are just the opposite of that. They're not representative of what kinds of things the customer does. Um, we and we have this workload that we built that uh, that we call transaction ID self check two, and it doesn't matter why it's called that. Um, it was the second one, and. And what it does is it tries to be as intertwined and, and horribly transactional as possible, such that if, if, it, if we ever were not 100% delivering on our ACID guarantees, on our CAP consistency guarantees, uh, it would immediately tell us. Because it, it doesn't just uh, you know, update a key and value here and make sure that they're the same. It will read uh, 100 rows deterministically from one table, aggregate them up and write them to another table. But meanwhile, that table, it's going to read something and write it to a third table. Meanwhile, we've got a Kafka stream coming in that is all calling a different class of procedure that's interacting with this data in a different way. Uh, and basically, as much of Volt we can use in as much an intertwined way as possible, we've built into this app. And this is all open source. You can view it on, on GitHub slash VoltDB slash VoltDB. Um, it's in the, I think, test apps folder. Uh, if We built this intertwined app. And then what we do is we run it. Sometimes we run it uh, on, on with, and leave it alone and just see if it runs safely for a while. Sometimes we run it and we fail the whole cluster and bring the whole cluster up from disk. Sometimes we run it and we fail individual nodes and rejoin those nodes. Uh, sometimes we run it and we just we do whatever we can do. We fail a single link. We uh, partition the network. We do whatever kind of evil things we can do um, for, and, and we repeat that process just continuously in the background in, in our closet and in various public clouds. Uh, and so we, we've got some people here who've done really tremendous work automating that infrastructure uh, so that we, we we basically can go into a room, bring up a dashboard, and see how many failures have happened in in, re, in, uh, in the last day and since we last checked the dashboard, uh, what kinds of workloads were those failures, uh, what builds and versions were those failures on. Um, we can also look at performance. We've got extensive performance tests and say – well, we made this, this the, the latest version of VoltDB is significantly better in these areas, but for some reason it takes longer to restore when you re- join a failed node for some reason. And, and that kind of, um, that kind of uh, insight took us years and years to build out, um, but it is, is really, really valuable in making sure that we continue to push the product forward, mm. uh, that we continue to trust the product we're shipping. Uh, and that we don't uh, basically break customer workloads because for almost every little performance detail, there's some customer out there that really relies on that particular kind of performance. Uh-huh. Whether that's maybe they've got a workload that does some kind of ad hoc workload. Maybe they've got a workload that has really, really high contention on a small number of keys. Maybe they've got really complex Java procedures that run uh, you know, processing in Java. And so there's a lot of different dimensions to Volt performance. We've got customers with uh, you know pools of clients connecting to Volt that have 100,000 connections to Volt. We've got customers that are using 
uh, Kafka and they have no clients. They're just feeding Kafka streams into Volt. Uh, so there's a, there's a big surface area to test. And, and it's definitely a, a huge part of what we do here is verifying that, that we can ship this thing and still sleep at night. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah, I think you definitely covered uh, the depth of the question. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was definitely good enough. Okay. So to begin to close off, uh, you know, I want to I want to zoom out and talk about how you see the database landscape as a whole evolving. We're far beyond the idea of one size fits all. And Mike Stonebreaker, who helped start Volt DB, was thinking about this a while ago, but. Um, so we're moving we're moving towards a world where there are more and more databases with increasingly nuanced feature sets. How how should systems architects approach this buffet of databases and figure out which which databases to choose for their holistic set of data yeah. management requirements? Um, it's a good question. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see where to start. So one thing that's that, that's really important to know about your data is um, where how how operationally dependent are you going to be on this database? Um, there are a lot of systems where uh, I can say I, I used to work at, at Vertica, which is an, an sort of an analytic focused database before I came to VoltDB. And in the early days of Vertica, this is somewhat changed. Um, Selling an analytics system is a little bit of a, a little bit of an easier sell because you can always add it to whatever else you're doing, load your data into it as well as whatever else you're doing, and and run queries against it. And if it happens to provide a lot more value than whatever else you're doing, maybe you turn off the old system. Um, but it can be a, an add because largely it's just you're teeing the data that's coming from whatever your operational system is, and you're you're putting it into two systems, and you can query them together. Maybe it's more resources, maybe it's more licensing costs, but in terms of affecting your infrastructure, it's a pure add-on. And so looking for systems that are, are pure add-ons uh, is a lot easier and in, so, in some ways sometimes more fun um, than, than, than looking at systems. Typically, VoltDB is sort of a different class of system where for the most part, people are, are building applications that are built around VoltDB. They're building applications where, you know, sometimes it's a legacy replacement. I say in telco, a lot of times people are ripping out times 10 because it doesn't virtualize well, because it doesn't work with their sort of uh, network virtualization uh, push, um, because it doesn't cluster well, uh, because it's, you know, ungodly expensive. But uh, many of these apps are sort of greenfield apps where people are building a new uh new applications that weren't possible with, with sort of technology from 20 or 30 years ago. And, and they're building it around VoltDB and they're really, they're building it very much uh, where VoltDB is, is very hard to swap out. Uh, and this is a pro and a con, right? VoltDB is a very specialized system. So by using sort of stored logic, uh, we can get uh, performance characteristics that are very predictable Data safety that is really uh, very, very, un, uh, very, very good. Uh, much better than many of the other systems that use asynchronous replication. Um, we have a, a lot of advantages, but but it's a, it's a very much a you know it's not like switching MySQL for Postgres. It's it's a, I'm building an application and VoltDB is coming along for this ride. Mm. So that I say that there's two differences here, and and if you're picking an application where if that application fails, if if that database doesn't work out. You're going to basically have to go back to the drawing board or rewrite things. Uh, that's that's a it's 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 a more challenging sell for us. Uh, however, I will say it's a much more rewarding sell, um, and and it's a very uh, it's a very sticky sell for us. So mm. once we get over that hump of people willing to say like I'm going to go all in with this company, um, it's much easier for us to sell to other use cases in those companies. Um, it's much easier for us to say hey you know. As your business grows, let's let's expand our relationship, um, and and people are generally, I think the the customer satisfaction for Volt is is very high, uh, and it's been it's been really satisfying that way. So that doesn't it's not quite a direct answer to your question, but it's it's important to make that distinction between the sort of the two kinds of databases um, that you're going to be adding to your to your to your system, and how you know choosing them is is a little bit different. You can sort of you have a little bit more on the analytics side or on the add-on side the ability to sort of play around. Um, yeah, and, and it's a little bit it's it's 
sort of different to play around on the operational side. Right. No, that's. I think that's. That sounds like a great. Uh, that's a great answer. A great way to conclude the conversation. Um, John, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. This has been really interesting. Um, I'm a fan of VoltDB, uh, and uh, I look forward to to hearing what you guys uh, do in the future. All right. Th- thank you very much for having me, Jeff. 